This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, you deucers. We're back. As always, it's Joey and Alex coming to you live. Well, not live, live to tape. Another big day of NBA playoff basketball. Let's just let's just get right into it. There's the games weren't incredible today, but there's some interesting stories, some big wins. Um, we'll start with the Nets versus the Raptors, which I think is the least interesting of the games. So we don't have to spend too much time on it. Uh, Raptors beat the Nets 104-99. They now lead that series 2-0. No real surprises there. Um, I mean, the Nets played well. We covered because we both took the Nets minus 11 and a half. Um, but not a whole lot there other than we figured this was going to be a sweep and it's 2-0 and this series will probably be done by Sunday, right? So I'm thinking, and I think my biggest takeaway is just that the Raptors are just handling business, and I think that's going to be um, a big advantage for them, especially if Milwaukee. Um, I mean, I'm not, I don't know if Milwaukee's going to drop another game, but this is a real advantage the Raptors could pick up moving forward if they just have less tread on their tires. They can just yes, sweep absolutely. this series like they should and uh, move on. Yeah, for sure. The one thing I here, here's the one thing I actually texted you about this earlier in the day, and and the one thing I wanted to talk about briefly in, from this game, because you mentioned plus minus on mm-hmm. one of the other on one of the last couple podcasts, um, and you mentioned how it's not a perfect stat and this and that. I wanted to get into real quickly how when it is actually a valuable thing to to evaluate a player. Okay, so as I'm watching the Raptors game. Marcus saw early in the game the Nets are playing well because Marcus Saul was dog shit in pick and rolls. He just could not guard in the pick and rolls, right? They were just totally, totally taking advantage of him. When the Raptors went to Serge Ibaka, put him at the five, and switched one through five, that was it. Ibaka ended up plus eighteen on the game. Gasol was minus thirteen. So I, I bring that up so because the reason I hate plus minus on a box score is because that story is not told through plus minus. You you have to see it in the game mm-hmm. to know to look for it, right? Because Pascal Siakam's plus minus in the game was minus nine. Kyle Lowry, I think, was just zero. He was just even. But they played all of Marcus All's minutes with him. So really, when he was off the floor, their plus minuses were probably incredible, right? But because Marcus Gasol, that one guy was so bad, he impacts everyone else on the floor's plus minus that's playing with him. 
So it's a it's a flawed stat because unless you you're watching the game and you can see the nuances of what's happening, and then you look specifically for it to make an argument for why something happened. Like for example, they need to play Ibaka as much as possible, especially in this series, to switch one through five, unless Gasol steps up. It's really not a great stat to use in a, in conversation unless you have that type of stuff to back it up. Yeah, I'm with you. I forget what episode I did mention that on, but um, that's a great that's a great point in that it's it should be more used as like a confirmation of what you're seeing in the game. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good a you can yeah you can I think get it done exactly like I think an announcer during a game can use that to say exactly what I said like oh well, look since Serge Ibaka came in the game, the Raptors are plus nine when they went to their switching lineup. Or a coach at halftime can look and say, man, Mark's been playing bad. How's Serge doing? But I think when fans or pod or anybody, analysts or anyone, just looks at a box score and says, man, this dude's playing great. He's plus nine. Well, you have to factor in all the guys that are on the floor with him. It's not an, it's not, and that's why I hate that it's on box, every single box score because it implies that it's an important stat and it's just not, it's not all the time. It can be important, but most of the time it's not because it, it's so dictated on who you're on the floor with. Right. I think really the only time it's valuable and that it kind of coincides with this point right here is when there's one big outlier, like Gasol is minus 13. Siakam is also minus nine, but, um, but, 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 like the but rest Siakam the played is, well. Siakam was minus nine because most of his minutes were with Gasol. Mm-hmm. And Ibaka and Gasol were were alternating. They never played together in this game. They were they they alternated all game. So right. I'm just saying we, like when there's one guy, yeah, it doesn't exactly apply here because Siakam was minus nine. But when there's one guy who's like way, way off than everybody else, you're like, okay, that he right. struggled. They took advantage of the, the opponent took advantage of his minutes on the floor. So sometimes you can see it, but it's really only when there's that one outlier and you can really parse apart what happened with one guy hurting his team. Right. Like you just said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, went a little longer on that than I wanted to, but that's fine. So just to reiterate, Raptors 2-0, they're going to sweep. But we got that one, which is good because we didn't do great today. Or I guess we did okay. I guess I was just riding high off my 4-0 Tuesday um, slate of games mm-hmm. that... I was a little disappointed with how my bets went today. But uh, so the next game was Jazz Nuggets. The Jazz, wow. Um, they pounded them out 124, 105, tied up the series. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, the Donovan Mitchell mini revenge tour goes for 57, third highest game in NBA playoff history, loses by 10, comes back puts 30 on the Nuggets, and they win by 19. The Jazz hit 23s and had 32 assists to 10 turnovers. They looked incredible. Like, if that's the way that... If they play like that, wow, was I wrong about this series. Yeah, um, I thought the Jazz defense was fantastic. Um, I think Quinn Snyder deserves a ton of credit after what we both thought was just a demoralizing loss. When you're... St- you're st- star player goes for 57 and you can't scrape together a win for them to come out and play defense. I mean, it's only game two. It's the playoffs. You expect guys to play hard, but they were really good tonight. And the most incredible thing about Donovan Mitchell's 30 points, 14 shots. I mean, that, that is unbelievably efficient. 
Yeah, he didn't do anything in the first half. For. Is he that locked in, or do the Nuggets simply not have an answer for him? Well, the Nuggets have the worst defense in Orlando. And that that we probably should have established that coming into this series. Um, they had the worst defensive rating since all the teams came to Orlando. But I thought in these first two games, because again, because Utah was shorthanded, because they didn't have Mike, and because Den- Denver's offense generally is that good, and they have more firepower, so to speak, I just figured they would still be the better team. I think I underestimated a little bit just how bad their defense is. They just can't stop anybody. And when Utah, I mean, when they're hitting, when they're making threes the way they were today and pass, I mean, in the first half, Donovan Mitchell only took, I think, six shots. Um, But it was the ball movement. I mean, they had, they had like, I think, I want to say the number was they had, I actually have it written down here, but they had like 14 assists in the first half. And in game one, I think they had 13 in the whole game. Uh, so that's it's something along those lines. But either way, it just shows they that Denver came into the game with a with a specific strategy, right? It was to to shut down Donovan Mitchell, and they did that in the first half, and Utah really made them pay, and then. Once they realized, oh, we have to actually guard other people, Donovan got his in the second half, and he, I mean, he had 21 in the third quarter. Yeah, so I, do you think Mitchell can carry them to a win in this series? Now? Like, Has he been that good through these first two games that now you're really thinking the Jazz have a shot here? Well, Mike Conley's or, back. So, right. they're, I mean, about as full strength as they're going to be now. So... Yeah, this changes things for what I thought this series was going to be. I thought Denver would take a 2-0 lead and then Conley coming back wouldn't be enough because they would be in too deep of a hole. Now 1-1 getting Conley back the way they played today. I mean, they're not going to play like this every game. This was about as perfect of a game as they could have played. Um, But I don't think they have to play perfect with as bad as Denver's defense is. If Denver can't figure out something on the defensive end, yeah, it, not only can they win... I mean, I think it's going to be a long series. I think yeah. it's probably six or seven games regardless. Um, I'm not panicking for Denver. I still think Denver wins the series. But here's what I want more of. When they're struggling, whether it's on offense, whatever it is, I want more Michael Porter Jr. He, 28. he had 28. He looks really good. And he could he scores at all three levels. And... You need a guy like again. What did we say? What did I say yesterday? You asked me about Jamal Murray, right? And yeah. and I said, "This is what he does. He'll have big games, and then he's gonna have a letdown." And that's what he did. He had a letdown today. They've always needed that guy who can consistently just break off from what everyone else is doing and just go get his. They've never had it consistently. They've always, it's always been sort of pieced together. It's, one game it's Jamal Murray, the next game it's Will Barton, the next game it's Gary Harris. They've always had these guys, Malik Beasley when he was there. Like they've always, it's always sort of patchwork together. Like who's going to be that guy? Michael Porter Jr. is you that need guy. To supplement Jokic, right? Just to, to supplement Jokic, give him but, something. But also Jokic is not. Again, he you 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 need to have that wing player that when it all fails, just give him the ball and let him go create something. Jokic, as much as he is a creator, 
you're not in those tough times. You're not just like, Hey, go one-on-one. You don't want him always doing that. You want him at the elbow in the post creating for others, potentially as good as he is. You still need that one wing player who, you know, consistently like I'm going to get him the ball and no matter where he is on the floor, he's a threat to score. And there's not a ton of guys like that in the league. That's why he's so important. There's probably only a handful, maybe five to ten guys who can you can consider in that conversation. Um, he's one of them, or he potentially could be one of them. But and I, I realize it's a playoffs, and he's a rookie, and they they probably don't trust him yet. But if it gets worse, you might have to start leaning on him a little bit more. That's I, I don't think they're there yet. But Dude, he had the second most shots on the team, so I think. Yeah, but think, he uh, he at the end when at the end he started he he played really well early, and then they took him out, and I was like, why aren't they running plays for Michael Porter Jr.? Why is he out of the game? And then in the end, when it was sort of out of reach, he came in and started getting more buckets. So I think that's a little misleading. The twenty eight is probably misleading too. However, if he would have played when he when he was going off in early and gotten those shots early, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't have. They don't have anyone who can guard him one-on-one That on, on Utah. I mean, that in particular, like, Joe Ingles or Royce O'Neal would probably be the primary guys guarding him, and they can't. Not well, when he's not playing the way he's playing, playing right now. Yeah. He, he's just, he's but even everything. just in general, he's 6'10", and he can raise up from anywhere on the floor. That's what yeah. makes guys like, I mean, look, I, I, KD, Paul George, Brandon Ingram, guys like that, what makes them so dangerous as scorers, LeBron even to a lesser extent, because he can't shoot it like those guys, but yeah, obviously he's LeBron. Um, but what makes them so dangerous is that it doesn't matter what you run. It doesn't matter who's guarding them. And it doesn't matter where they are on the floor. It's what made Dirk so dangerous, right? Like they can score from anywhere because they're so big and their shots are, I mean, they can shoot it and they're just so big and long. And he's one of the rare guys who can do that and they need to maybe I'm saying they're not panicking. They, but they might have to take advantage of it if it gets, if it gets bad. Yeah. So I've been high on Michael Porter jr. Since the Knicks passed on him, I thought that pretty much uh, sealed the deal for him having a very productive career, but you are sky high on Michael Porter jr. I love it. Now we got to move on to one that broke my heart. Celtics beat the Sixers 128-101. Normally when we're talking Sixers, I started off, but uh, I, I got to let you go first on this one. Yeah, it's... Um, I definitely didn't think it would go down like this, right? I I, I thought coming out with, without Hayward, losing game one, I thought they'd come in a little more motivated. Um, they changed up the starting lineup, put in... Uh, how do you say it? Thibel? Yeah. Um, they put in Matisse Thibel for Al Horford, which I thought was a great move because uh, when Embiid and, and Horford were on the floor in game one, their net rating was minus 42. Uh, and Horford can't guard any of their wings. But nobody can guard any of their wings. Um, but I, my my issue with this is the same issue that I've had with the Sixers for years now. Joel Embiid just can't put together consistent games on both ends of the floor. He looked... I, I If he was gassed, that's a problem. But he looked 
terrible on defense. Not, not bad. They were all bad. But he looked so uninterested in being there defensively. And the Celtics guards and wings in those high pick and roll sets that they ran all game absolutely abused everybody. It was nonstop. I put a little bit of the onus on Brett Brown because they didn't really adjust. But again, and all the announcers talk about, can Embiid put this team on his shoulders? Embiid, I got to put this team on my shoulders. If you're the leader of the team, you're the franchise player, you're the guy that is supposed to put this team on his back, and your coach is not adjusting the way you're guarding pick and rolls and telling you stay in the paint, drop down, and don't let them get to the rim. And they are just absolutely destroying you. It's on you to go in the huddle and yell at the coach and say, dude, we are getting our asses kicked right now. We have to change something. But I don't see him as that guy. It's the same way I don't see him as that guy in games when he's not getting touches and he's not scoring and he's not demanding that they call plays or force the ball into him or force guys into the post. It's the same way when he's trying to get post position on Ennis Cantor, he's catching the ball from 17 feet instead of with a foot in the paint. It's always an issue with him. And it's every game it's something different, but there's always something. And it's it's been for years. And something, they might get swept here. It looks like they might get swept. And there's going to be big changes for your boys. There's got to be. And I don't want to go there yet because I'll let them lose. If they lose one more, obviously, then we can really go there. But something's got to happen. Something's got to give. And whether it's one of those two guys is out of there, whether it's front office changes, coaching, whatever it is, this team even without Ben Simmons, who I, I know you don't like, they shouldn't be getting absolutely rolled like this. The Celtics are really good. The Celtics could definitely win the East. You can't get, you just, this just can't happen when you have a guy on the floor who's supposed to be either the best or second best player in the game. So through two and a half pods, three and a half pods, it's got to be pretty clear to everybody that I'm a diehard Sixers fan. Um, Joel Embiid's one of my favorite players ever. Um, that's how far it goes with him, but I can't defend him. I cannot defend. I think what you hit on that resonated with me the most was it's something different every game. Like, I know that Joel Embiid is a great defender. So, like, where was it? Where was it tonight? This is game two against your biggest rival. It can't happen. Um, he put up 34 points. It's just on the defensive end. Yeah. He, he was a complete liability. So again, I'm, I can't defend it. Yeah. What and- I will go after Tobias Harris is starting to look like he's got one of the worst contracts in the league. And like you said, we're not going to get into it until they lose game three, which it certainly looks like they're going to, but this roster from a cap space perspective is really jammed up because you've got a bunch of guys taking up huge percentages of the cap that simply don't work together. Let me tell um, you, I told you this when it happened. Lose, losing Jimmy was not the biggest thing that happened to them this offseason. It was losing J.J. Redick. That totally boned them. 
It did. Because like I said last game, if you're relying on Alec Burks to get you 18 to lose by eight, you're in trouble. He had two tonight. Didn't it, help me in Fanduel, that's for sure. I, I just, I really don't know what to say. And again, can't discredit that the Celtics might be the best team in the East. Yes, but true, as true. recently as last year, this Sixers team looked like it had legit title hopes, and it's just completely unraveled. Like well, it's really, it and got I, bad quick. Look, you and had, I think I, Elton Brand has a lot of explaining to do. I think, dude, I, I don't like talking about whether coaches should go stay or go because I've worked for a lot of coaches. I respect what they do. I know how hard it is. But Brett Brown's got an has had an unheard of amount of rope in his time in Philly. They haven't accomplished much. And I know they gave him the, the all the time during the process and all that, but I watch games like tonight and I'm like, well damn. I mean they may not have won this game, but they got blown out because they didn't make the right adjustments. They just didn't. And that's coaching. Now, it's on the players, too. The players just didn't seem into it. But there seems to be some type of disconnect right now. Look, you're starting Shake Milton and Matisse Thibel in the playoffs. It's not a great look. So, you're right. Roster construction is going to be is an issue. And it's a great point. It's very well may be that the Celtics just are the best team in the East, and maybe this is just them running up against a, a great team. But, this, but the Celtics have not shown that yet. They've shown that they're a really good team who could be a great team. And they lost by 27 tonight, but it looked like it looked worse to me. It, That's what I was going to say is... Uh, we're watching all these games like crazy, and we're seeing so much good basketball, free-flowing basketball... Like, there's just no continuity in the offense. And we used to, we should be hanging our hat on high effort defense to get us competitive. But the offense, it's like, there's just, it's just not there. Like, compared to the Jazz, the Celtics, the Rockets. And I know it's all kinds of different schemes, but like, it doesn't even look like even a good offense, let alone one that can get you far in the playoffs. But I'll say, but coming into this game, because even well, coming into this series, their offense was great without Ben Simmons because they were shooting the ball really well. But in the chess match of coaching in a playoff series, Brad Stevens is destroying Brett Brown. I mean, every time Philly even remotely thought they had something that they could do, Brad Stevens changed up the defense. He zoned, he switched, they doubled. I mean, they just were, they were so all over the place. You never knew where they were going to be on defense and Philly just couldn't adjust. And that's why their offense looked bad. Their defense is just bad, but Brad Stevens has them in a position where they can't figure out where Boston's going next defensively. And it does that, feel that that's it feels on, like- again, that's coaching. The players aren't figuring it out, not by themselves. And your star player is not ever going to be... I mean, he had 34, so I'm not going to go in on him too much. But you just, again, it's just like the Jokic-Michael Porter Jr. thing, right? Love love Jokic. You want him to have the ball and you want... It's the Shaq-Kobe thing. Shaq always used to say, 
give me the ball for 40, 45 minutes a game. But at the end, Kobe, Kobe's that guy. Kobe's taking that shot. You need the guy. You need that wing player who can create for himself and others. Joel Embiid's never going to be that guy. So 34 is fine. But who's the other guy? Who are the other two guys? They just don't have it. They haven't had it. It's not Tobias Harris. I'll tell you that. It's certainly no. not Tobias Harris. Well, it's never, I don't think but that's never been his thing. Well, that's then you can't pay him the amount of money that you pay him. <laughs> Again, that's down the road. Well, there's probably a lot. Of, there's probably a lot of guys in the league that you could say that about. But um, the Celtics are so good. Tatum, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, and Jalen Brown combined for seventy-five. They went. They combined for eighty in Game One. They didn't miss a beat without Gordon Hayward. I mean. That's coaching too, by the way. I mean, this team just plays within that offense and they're all on the same page at all times. It's it's just, they're just a better team. I don't like Joel Embiid. I'm just going to say it. I don't like him. I don't like, I, I just don't, I don't think, I don't think that he is a, you're a number one guy to lead you to a championship in the NBA. I just don't. I've never I mean, really it's thought that. It's impossible for me to sit here and defend it when these stamina issues. I, I truly believe the issue again tonight was stamina. Like he just he if if you can't give me thirty five minutes at a hundred percent, like yeah, I, I'm extremely nervous about continuing to build the team around you. I yeah. never thought I would say that, but it keeps happening yeah. with this like just duds. Um, and again, if you look at the box score, that's not going to show up, but he was a complete liability on defense and he's supposed to be the linchpin in the defense. Like he's, he's that good defensively in terms of ability. Yeah. And that's what the stamina thing. It's, it's unacceptable as a Sixers fan. (laughs) Like I'm not going to make any bones about it. Like I'm pissed. I think the best thing at this point, and as a Sixers fan, you're going to hate this, but let's get a sweep, get, get this thing over with, figure out. The Sixers can figure out what's next. Celtics can get some rest because they're going to need it because Gordon Hayward's out four weeks, so everyone's taking up a bigger workload, and let's just move on. I mean, even if the Sixers somehow steal a game or two, they're just not good enough to make any type of noise this year. They're just not. Um, do you have anything else on that? I don't I don't want to, since no, that's your yeah, guy. But, I'm butthurt about it. I'm yeah. sore. I think we should move on. Yeah. All right. Last game of, of the day. Another... Like not a great game, but a fun game. Mavericks beat the Clippers, one twenty seven, one fourteen, to tie up the series. It's pretty incredible. I actually, I for my up post today, for belly up, the first line was, "It's incredible what can happen when one of your franchise players doesn't get egregiously ejected halfway through a game." Porzingis, Luca, by the way. Fastest player in NBA history to have 70 points in the playoffs. Which is My absurd. number one note here, I know you're still going. I just want to say the, the thing I kept thinking about during this game, he's 21. Joey, what were you up to at age 21? Um, I was at Matt, Chubby's in Tallahassee <laughs> yeah. drink, drinking liquor pitchers. You certainly weren't one of the 10 to 15 best people at your craft. You know what I was? Like I was one of the 10 to 15 best managers for the Florida State basketball team. Okay, uh, and and I wasn't, narrow, and I probably wasn't number one. So a much the, more narrow scope there, but yeah. I'm not going to take that away from you. I'm sure you were excellent, but he's 21. In five years, he's going to be 26 in his prime. Like, what are we looking I at? I know. 
And you know what? He was great last game too. I mean, he's he's absurd. It, it, and so let me I'll talk about Porzingis first. Having him this game was the difference. I'm starting to think that if they would have had him all of last game, this would be 2-0 Dallas. And they needed him even more in this game because Luka was in foul trouble. And in, when he sat in the third quarter, Porzingis was all over the place. He was getting to the foul line. He was blocking shots. He was defending. He was, re- I mean, he was doing every, he was, he was all over the place. Every time the Clippers looked like they were about to make that run and take over, Porzingis made a play. And that's what you need from your second guy. And really, co-first guy. Porzingis is an absolute stud, dude. Absolute stud. I'm going to give you a hot take. And this is going to probably be an unpopular one. After Kawhi Leonard, Dallas has the next two best players in this series. Luka and Chris has Porzingis. Wow, and that's something because you're always high on Paul George. I think you called Paul George one of a top 10 player last night. Mm, I don't know if I went that far. but He's on I mean, the cusp. I yeah, know sure. I, I just know how hard, how high you are on Paul George. I, on his ability, yes, but I think he's been like a career loser. So that sort of drops <laughs> him down a little bit. And um, God, Luke is definitely better. It just, I yeah. just don't even think there's a question. And then Porzingis is just so, oh my God, dude, he's, he's just different. Like it, there's, there's a lot of really talented bigs, right? In the league, but with his with the combination of how good of a shooter he is and his defense and he's so big he's huge like i think yeah that's my take i don't know if it's a hot take maybe people will agree with that but i think he is a guy that for the casual NBA fan has been a little bit forgotten about just because of the how weird the ending in New York was and his injury and he didn't play injury. for a long time. But like, I mean, they say this all the time in football, but like these, what was his injury? An ACL? Was it an ACL? Something along those lines. It was, it was, a, it was a lower body injury. Yes. Like those take a year to get back to a hundred percent. Like, I, I mean, I, modern medicine's amazing, but like, I don't think it was an ACL. I'm going to double check, but keep talking. So, like he's playing like right now I see him back to where he was in New York. So I feel like if it's an unpopular opinion, it's just because people haven't seen him and he hasn't been what he was. Oh, it wasn't ACL. York. Sorry. Right. Yeah. So like maybe he's really just hitting his stride and is yeah. getting back to being the player he was in New York. Um, well, I know I he's bad. I think statement. he's, I think he's better than he was in New York right now. He just, he was doing everything for New York. Right. I think he's better. But no, I, I don't think that's a. I think the guy's ridiculously talented, and the only reason he's not way up there in these sort of conversations is because of that injury. And yeah, for sure. Maybe, maybe we're seeing him back at a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, one thing to point out in this game, Patrick Beverly didn't play. I told you I was concerned about the Clippers' depth before, which is weird because again, it's another thing that people talk about all the time is that the Clippers are deep, but once you get past their starting five. And I and Zubats is in that, and I don't even love him. Her, Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams. I look at the rest of that roster, and I don't see much. And tonight, they only had four points from anyone not in that top seven. And Pat Beverly didn't play. Now, when Pat Beverly's on the court for them this year, their defensive rating, 82. When he's off the floor, 120. 
And uh, that's what they would call significant. Right? Yeah. I think that. And it's not just that. I mean, he doesn't play. I mean, he's an emotional dude. He's the kind of guy that in those stretches in the third quarter where there was multiple times where the Clippers cut it to three, he's the kind of guy who's going to take a charge or he's going to get a steal or he's just going to hit somebody and he's going to change the momentum and everyone's going to get pumped up. He's just one of those guys. Mm-hmm. They desperately he's a nuisance is what he is. He's yeah, a real nuisance. Yeah. They desperately missed that tonight. Um, and obviously his defense. Last game, Luca had eleven turnovers. I think he only had one tonight. And I'm not that's not just because of Pat Beverly, because Beverly didn't guard him one on one most of the game, but him not being there changes that defense. And just changes the team in general because other guys have like Reggie Jackson has to step up. You know? At the end of the first half. They put in Terrence Mann, who could be a good player one day. They put him in with like three seconds left just to guard Luka on the inbounds, and he fouled him. That probably doesn't happen if Pat Beverly's playing. Maybe it's Reggie Jackson, or maybe it's just Pat Beverly. Who knows? But So not having him is huge. The one last thing I want to say about this series that I think is, you've brought this up a couple times, home, not having home court advantage is massive in what could possibly happen in this series. Because yes. if the Clippers were at home today, I think they would have won. Because there was a couple times where they made little runs that the crowd would have gotten into, and it would have changed the momentum of the game. But every time they may- tried to make a run, Dallas stopped it. I think if they were at home, one of those runs would have stuck. I think there's a lot of people out there that aren't on the momentum train, but I'm with you. I think it can make a huge difference in a series like this, just in terms of guys' confidence, which translates to better play. Yeah, for sure. This is going to be an interesting series now. It's more competitive than I thought it was going to be. I love it because I love Luca and Kristaps, and, and maybe it's better that they're playing the Clippers because we get to see how good they actually are. Um, by the way, we both had the Nuggets. We lost that one. We both had the Sixers. We lost that one. And we both had the Mavs. We won that one. So we're both 2-2 two and two on the day, which brings you to 4-8 and eight and me in to 8-4 and four so far in the playoffs. I need like a little bonus because I took Dallas straight up. All right. Then we'll give you four and a half. No. Um, all right, let's make our picks real quick. We're running up against some time here. Um, Heat minus four versus the Pacers. Old Depot status is still up in the air. I'm going to take the Heat minus four just because I, I I think they'll do it anyways, and I just don't know how healthy Old Depot is going to be. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think I really realized until game one how much they miss a bonus. I'm going to go Heat minus four. Uh, Thunder... Rockets minus Rockets minus two. I think that intern you were talking about yesterday making the lines made the line for this one. I don't know. Maybe they didn't watch the first game, but Rockets minus two and a half seems like a no brainer. Yeah. And I don't want to just be riding your coattails here, but that, that line doesn't make any sense to me based on how easy Houston made it look. Yep. Uh, we got magic bucks, uh, bucks minus 13 after the magic won the first game. Uh, I'm going to stick with the magic. Here, plus 13. Bucks absolutely, I think, win. But I think it's still going to be relatively close. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to differ from you on this one. I think the Bucks really ratchet up the defense and blow this thing open early. I think it's a 20-point win for them. Um, and then the last one is Blazers-Lakers. If there's ever been a must-win in game two of a playoff series, I think this is it. Lakers win by 10. What's the line? Six and a half. 
Uh, I'm going to take the no. I'm going to take um, the Lakers to win, but Blazers to cover. I think this is going to be uncomfortable for the Lakers, but they're going to win. All right. Um, you want to just do our FanDuel lineups real quick? Yeah. I'm getting slammed. I didn't make any money again today. Here's terrible at FanDuel. Here, that's here, what I'm finding yeah, out. Yeah, it's hard, especially in the big contests. All right. I I went with both Milwaukee point guards. Milwaukee point guard revenge game. Uh, Tyler Hero seems to be getting. He got a lot of Duncan Robinson's minutes last game, so I'm going to go there. I got Harden again. Evan Fournier, bounce back game. Uh, he played bad last game. Your boy, Jakar Sampson, I was impressed. Bam Adebayo again. Anthony Davis and Steven Adams. Steven Adams. I got Steven Adams. Keep working on that one. Steven Adams. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to workshop that Australian accent. All right. New Zealand. Fandle, going- New Zealand, dude. Get it right. I almost said same thing, but I realized that could be considered insensitive in some circles. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So my approach, I loaded up on like these $11,000 guys. I went with James Harden, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. And I filled it out with Goran Dragic, Edmund Sumner, who I think could surprise some people, Tyler Harrow, Eric Gordon, Nerlens Noel, and PJ Tucker. All right. Well, we'll see if one of us finally wins some money after. I feel good about this. Three episodes after the third episode, maybe. I like my lineup, so we'll see. That's it. Not the greatest day of games, but really interesting storylines, which should make the next slate of this day of games really interesting. Looking forward to tomorrow. Everyone, you know the deal. Go wherever you listen to your podcast and hit the subscribe button. It helps us out. Leave us a review if you want at NBA Morning Deuce on Twitter. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you in the morning. Deuce out. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.